All right, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, please. And we were here last week in Romans chapter 5, and we focused in on verse 8. But today we're going to move down in the passage just a little bit. And we're going to consider verses 9 through 11 as our text. But I want to go back to verse 8 and remind us just briefly about what we considered last week. Verse 8 says, But God commendeth or proved His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we, we talked about sinners in the hands of a loving God last week. And we ought to be very thankful for that. Amen? That God is a God of love, that He is love Himself. And I am thankful for the love of God toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We, the only hope we have is the fact that Jesus Christ, or that God the Father, loves us. We're born into this world condemned. And let me tell you, the cross of Jesus Christ was not a joy. But the outcome of salvation of sinners was the joy that caused Him to endure the cross and the shame. And He loved you and me enough to give His life and to take your place, to take your punishment or the wrath of God on your sin. Jesus Christ loved you enough to do that. And just because, but let me say this, because just because Jesus Christ loves sinners and and just because God is a God of love, And just because He gave His life to take your place, that doesn't mean that everybody is automatically saved. The blood of Jesus Christ is certainly sufficient and capable to save every person who has ever lived or who ever will live, but that will only come or be applied to those who come for salvation God's way. Not our own way or by our own righteousness or You know, God loves everyone and we all have our own way to God. No, the blood of Christ is sufficient, but it's only applied to those who come God's way. And we do rejoice in the love of God. We are thankful that God is love. But let me make a couple of things clear before we get into our verses this morning. Number one, while sinners are in the hands of a loving God... There is coming a day when the mercy and the forbearance of God is going to run out. And I think of the example of Noah's day where the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20 where the Bible says, "...which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water." And the Bible tells us that the long-suffering of God, and why does it say long-suffering? Because the Bible tells us that God looked down from heaven and He saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that violence was spread across the earth. And God said it it, it repented Him that that He had made man, and that that man had become so vile that God had to to destroy this world and this, this earth with a flood. And yet, in the middle of that, God was still long-suffering. And the long-suffering of God waited while the ark was preparing, 
While the ark was being built, people were given time to believe the message that Noah was preaching concerning the coming judgment of God. They were given time to repent and be right with God. But the time came when God eventually shut the door of the ark. And when God shut the door of the ark, the wrath of God was poured out in this world. And it was at that point that it was too late. And how many people recognized the danger they were in when the wrath of God was being poured out? How many people tried to get into the ark when the wrath of God was being poured out? How, I, I just imagine it in my mind. How many people were beating on the ark? Let us in! Let us in! But God had shut the door. God was long-suffering. While the ark was preparing, giving men opportunity to believe the message of the coming judgment... But when he shut the door, it was too late. And what I'm saying is, while sinners are in the hands of a loving God, there is coming a day when the mercy and the forbearance of God is going to run out. And let me say this to you. The love of God should not make one presumptive or passive as if there's still time. God is long-suffering. God is loving. I still have a chance. I still have time. I'll deal with it later. The love of God should not make one presumptive, but instead it should cause one to thirst and desire for the one who can save them from the wrath of God. It, God's love toward me ought to cause me to run to His mercy. It should cause one to seek like never before. Isaiah 55 and verse 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Where is the mercy and the pardon of God found? In the repentant heart, the one that seeks after the Lord while he is near. And so I would say to you, we're thankful for the love of God. God so loved us. God proved His love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But never let the love of God make one presumptive as if there is more time. Now is the day that God is calling and speaking. And so we transition after that then to our text verses this morning. And as we do... I want to start by asking a couple of questions. Let's read our text verses first. Verse 9. Much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. I want to preach to you today on this thought, this subject, saved by His life. And we find that in our text here this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with your word today, and Lord, may it go forth 
and accomplish the purpose you intend for it in each heart. We ask for your help, Lord, for your grace to understand it, to preach it, and Lord, may your will be done from it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start again by asking a couple questions. And the first question is this, and I want you to think, and I want you to really ask yourself the question. Everybody here? Everybody, everybody with me? Everybody paying attention? I want you to really ask yourself the question. Young men, boys, I want you to ask yourself this question. Old people, that is relative, whatever age that is that makes you old. I want you to ask yourself this question. And then everybody in between. If you were to die today, right now, where would you go? Think. If you were to die today, where would you go? If today were the last day that you breathe air, where would you go? It's a real question. It's a serious question. Do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? Are you confident? If you died today, are you confident that you'd be in the presence of the Lord? If you say yes to that question, how do you know? How do you know? Question number two. If God were to say to you, why should I let you in to heaven? You say, yep, I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. If God were to say to you, why should I let you in? What would you say? What answer would you give him? And I want you to think about these questions because we're going to look through the Word of God here this morning. And the, the real focus or where we're going is, is, is on the issue of assurance. I know why I'm saved. I know what answer I would give the Lord if He asked me that question. And the Word of God explains it for us, but... The reason we're going to focus on that because there's a lot of people who don't believe in eternal security. There's a lot of people that believe you could lose your salvation. And our text this morning is maybe one of the strongest arguments there is for the assurance of salvation in the Bible. I read one commentator who said this, the argument of these two verses, verses 9 and 10, is, I suggest, the most powerful argument with respect to assurance of salvation or the finality of our salvation that can be found anywhere in the whole of Scripture. And he goes on to say that the only thing that goes beyond it is the immediate witness of the Holy Spirit of God in your own life. That Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. But Paul says here in Romans 5, much more than... So, 
Christ died for us, and while that we were yet sinners, that's a blessing. But it goes beyond that, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Having assurance of our salvation being confident of where I'm going to go if I were to die today, that is such a vital part of the foundation of, of, for spiritual growth in my life. You can't have real growth if your foundation is unsure. And so it's important that we understand what Paul is saying in these verses, that we can rightly apply it in our own life. And I want the Word of God to speak uh, as, as only the Word of God can. Not me, not my thoughts, but the Word of God and the Spirit of God giving you understanding. And what we need to first of all understand here or remember is that Paul has been talking about the blessings of justification by faith. Justification in and through Christ. That's been the theme of Paul since actually chapter 1. And he's been talking about these blessings of justification. And we looked at a couple of them last week. But another blessing that Paul mentions here is the confidence or the assurance of our salvation. Knowing for sure that I'm going to be in the presence of God is a blessing of being justified by faith. So you don't have to worry about it. That is a blessing of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we looked at verses 9 through 11. I'm going to read them again and I'm going to point out the first principle. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The first thought is found in verse 9. And the third, first thought is this. If we're justified through Christ, we're also going to be saved from God's wrath through Christ. Look what it says. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. So if we're justified through Christ, we're going to be saved from wrath through Christ. And it reminds us here that justification is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean to be justified? It means to be declared righteous. The grounds or the basis for our justification is that we've been declared righteous by God. Not that we are righteous in ourselves, but through the blood of Christ, we are declared righteous in the eyes of God. It reminds us that, that salvation or justification is not something that we deserve, but something that we qualify for ourselves. It's through His blood. He says it right here, through His blood. It also reminds us that it's a done deal as well. And what I mean by that is, look at, look at what he says in verse 9, much more than being now justified. 
being now justified by his blood. It's a done deal, meaning that it's already happened in the eyes of God. It's the, that is the same verb that is used in verse 1 of chapter 5. Look what he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's past, it's com a completed action, it's, it's something that the believer knows has taken place and it can never be removed, being now justified. When we trusted in Christ, in the eyes of God, the judge, the gavel has been struck, not guilty, paid in full, the debt is, never to be returned again. And it's from that sure fact that Paul argues, because of this, we shall be saved from wrath through him. On the basis of this sure fact, when the wrath of God comes, that's not for you. We shall be saved from wrath through him. The word wrath there, it refers to the coming day of judgment on sin. And this is where Paul actually started the subject of justification by faith, dealing with the wrath of God. Go back to chapter 1 in verse 18, where Paul, he's talking about the condition of mankind, society, culture, mankind in general, in chapter 1, and he describes this downward spiral of mankind just to the dregs, to the bottom of the barrel, as bad as it can get with humankind. That's what Paul's describing in chapter 1, and he says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That word hold means to suppress. It means to hold back. They don't let the truth of God work. And so he talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men, men who have opportunity for truth, but they suppress it. They hold it back. They don't let it work in their life, and God's going to judge them. And then you get over to chapter 2, and verse 5, he says, but after thy hardness an impenitent heart treasurous up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And he talks about how every sin and every action, every wickedness, it's just piling more wrath on top of wrath. And it's just piling up and one day it's going to explode and God's wrath is going to be poured out. That's where Paul began. And when you get to our text in verse chapter 5 and verse 9, he says, if you've been justified by his blood, you're also going to be saved from wrath, that coming day of judgment through him. The present consequences of sin. Did you know there are present consequences of sin and future consequences of sin? What are the present consequences of sin? Well, we reap what we sow, right? You could smoke three packs of cigarettes every day and you can end up with lung cancer and die. That's a present consequence of sin. But there's a future consequence of all sin because sometimes people get away 
quote, get away with sin in this life, but you never will in the next. You never will when the day of judgment comes. The present consequences of sin, like maybe getting cancer or something like that, that is nothing compared to the eternal wrath of God on sin. The eternal wrath that's coming for all who've not been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. But Paul says, that doesn't have to be you. That's not you. If you've been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, you're also going to be saved when that day of wrath comes through Jesus Christ. Something else I want you to look at is in, when Paul says in verse 9, he says, much more than. We need to grasp the importance of that statement much more than. So he says in verse 8, God has commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, even beyond that, being now justified, we'll be saved from wrath through Him. And he says this, if God loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die in our place, even when we were enemies, how in the world then would you ever if you're justified through Christ, ever be subject to the wrath of God then. You see that? If God loved you so much, even when you were an enemy, and He sent His Son, how in the world then would you ever be subject to His wrath after that? Paul's argument is this, God's wrath on sin, it's a sure thing, it's coming. But when that day comes, and it'll be an awful day, we are sure that we shall be saved from that day because of Christ. It was His blood that paid the penalty for my sin. That was once and for all. Praise the Lord. Amen? We're going to be saved from wrath through Him. And then Paul gets to verse 10, and he repeats that same thought, but just with a little bit different slant. Look at verse 10. For if... When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And the second thought is this. If we were reconciled to God through Christ's death, even more we're going to be saved through His life. There's a, there's a contrast that's going on here. Now, again, Paul's talking about justification. The word justification, or the subject of justification, it looks at salvation from a legal standpoint. Now, I want you to follow this. God is the judge, right? No man is righteous. We don't have righteousness in us. We can't earn it. Uh, we're guilty, and we're condemned. And in the court of God, there is no hope. But justification again, is looking at a legal point of view. Jesus Christ comes along and He sheds His blood and He pays the debt that we could never pay. And, and the blood is applied. And so in the court of God, He looks at you. The blood, the gavel is struck, not guilty, paid in full, and God declares us to be righteous, just as if we'd never sinned. That's the legal point of view. That's how justification looks at salvation. But there's another word that Paul uses here, and the word is reconciliation. Notice it in verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God 
by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, reconciliation looks at salvation from the relational point of view. You follow that? Justification looks at it from the legal point of view, but reconciliation looks at it from the relational point of view. And so Paul again says, much more than... Notice it, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. In other words, what he is saying here is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from sin. It didn't just offset the effects of Adam's sin on the human race, as in saving us and saving our soul or saving us from wrath. It goes even beyond that, and it's a complete reversal of the fact that we were enemies of God, and now we've been made sons of God. It's not just an offsetting of the effects of Adam's sin. It adds to us sonship with God. It's a reversal. We've been reconciled to him, and we've gone from being an enemy to a son. And so the logic then, when it comes to the wrath of God, is this. If Christ has died for his enemies, he's surely going to save his sons. Amen? Amen. If God did the hard thing by reconciling us to Himself through the death of His Son, it only follows that we are going to be saved from His judgment because of His life. I'm His Son, and He lives. And because He lives, it stands to reason that those who are His sons, those who've been reconciled, would also be secure in His life. Amen? Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 33. The Bible says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says it doesn't matter what may come in this life. And it doesn't even matter what might be the judgment of God on some in the next life. Nothing is going to separate me from the love of God because I'm His Son. Hebrews chapter 7. Turn there. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 24 But this man, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost 
that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Because he not only died, but he rose from the grave, and he ever liveth, he is there to make intercession for the saints of God. And what I'm saying is because he lives, you and I have absolute security as sons of God if we're saved. We're saved by his life. Nothing can ever come between us and God because Jesus lives. Because Jesus is there standing up on our behalf. Look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2 and verse 1. The Bible says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In other words, he's standing there on our behalf. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And if you can imagine it in a courtroom or, or, or standing before God, the accuser of the brethren comes along. Who's that? The devil. And he comes along and he says, look at that. Look what he did. Look what he thought. Look how he behaves. Look at that attitude. Listen to what he said. That's not Christ-like. That's not loving at all. Do you see that? He's filthy. He's gross. He's a sinner. You see that? And the Lord Jesus comes and takes up the call before the bar of heaven. And he stands up as a defense attorney, and he pleads our case. And you know what he does? He shows the wounds in his hands. That was my blood. He's under the blood. It's all gone. And when God looks at you, and when God looks at me, he doesn't see all the filth and all the sin, the accusations uh, that the accuser of the brethren brings. He doesn't see my shame and my filth. He doesn't see that. What he sees is the righteousness of his Son. And I've been declared righteous through his blood. And if I'm a son of God, there is no chance that I'm being judged for all of that sin that's still there. Amen? Much more than justified or reconciled rather we shall be saved by his life Christ ever liveth to make intercession for us God the Father responds to the accusation with case dismissed Amen but I don't want to stop there because Paul doesn't stop there Go back to our text in Romans chapter 5. Because Paul doesn't stop here. He doesn't just give out some dry and dusty truth here. He doesn't give out a boring lecture and then dismisses the class. No, he says something even greater. He says, there's more to it than that even. And because these things are so, look at verse 11. He says, let me get there myself. Romans 5 and verse 11, he says, and not only so. He's like, I'm not done yet. 
But we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Paul says these glorious truths about our sure salvation and about uh, our, our, our escape from the wrath of God, they invoke something. They invoke something of an emotional response even. He says we joy in God because of this. And the, the third thought is that the result of knowing that you're saved for sure is to joy in God through Jesus Christ. It ought to bring joy. He says, and not only so, in verse 11. It doesn't stop there. I'm not done telling you of all this gloriousness. If you understand this truth, he says, you've got to glory or exalt or boast in God. He says, we joy in God because of this. Now, Paul uses this word, and it's translated a couple of different ways, but it's the same word. In chapter 5 and verse 2, he says, "...by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God." It's translated as the word rejoice. In verse 3, he says, "...and not only so, but we glory..." In tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. He's, it's translated as the word glory. We glory in tribulations. We have joy in tribulations. And then we joy in God Himself. It's a word that means to exult. It means, it, it's a word that means to make your boast in. And it's, it's actually a word that's a very emotion. It was a word that was used for great emotion. That's the idea. And so Paul is saying that this glorious truth concerning being saved by his life and from the wrath of God, man, that it just it, it invokes some emotion out of me that I joy in God for what he's done for me. Those who've been justified by Christ's blood and reconciled to God through his Son. <laughs> They ought to make their boast in God. Amen? It ought to cause us to think to ourselves, man, I am so undeserving because I know what I am. And yet God loved me when I was yet a sinner and Christ died for me. And not only did He offset the effects of Adam's sin, but now I'm not an enemy of God anymore. I'm a son of God. And if I'm a son of God, the wrath of God does not abide on me anymore. And I know that when I leave this life, I'm in the presence of God. Hallelujah! What has He done? I can't even comprehend it. That's what Paul's saying. And why is it that Christian people... Got nothing to joy in. You're just gonna complain all the time about stupid stuff. Are you saved? Are you sure you're saved? Amen. Isn't God wonderful? There's nothing to compare to his love, to his grace to His tender mercy in my life that is new every single morning. There's no love like the love of Christ for sinners for me. Praise the Lord. 
But then I want you to look at the last phrase of verse 11. He says, not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And note this, by whom, so he's talking about Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The last part of that verse says it's through Christ that we received the atonement. Now the word atonement, it's a a Greek word here, and it means an exchange. It means a restoration or a reconciliation. And so Paul is saying, by Christ we have received an exchange. It was His death for my life. It was my robes of sin for His robes of righteousness. It's a wondrous exchange. It was an enemy now to a son. It's a restoration. I was an enemy of God. Now I'm reconciled to God relationally. By Christ, I've received this exchange, this restoration, this reconciliation. What's interesting is that this is the only instance in our Bible where the word atonement is used in the New Testament. Because atonement is typically an Old Testament word. And this is the only place in the New Testament that we find the word atonement, the word occurred 102 times in the Old Testament and only once in the New. Now, the Hebrew word that is translated as atonement is the word kafir, and it means to cover. It means to expiate. And it commonly means the ransom or the sacrifice by means of which reconciliation is affected between God and man. Now, follow this. Are you following me already? Hopefully you are. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice of the lamb and the, the high priest once every year went into the Holy of Holies, which was the presence of God. Nobody could go in there except for the high priest. And he could only go in once a year. And he had to have the blood. And he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat to make atonement for the people. A covering or an expiation for the sin of the people. By means of which that sacrifice... That blood, by means of which reconciliation is affected between God and man. That's how it was in the Old Testament. But in this place, in the New Testament, it has a different sense. It's similar, but it has a different sense. It means this, the reconciliation itself between God and man. And what it's saying is that Jesus Christ is the reconciliation between God and man. Do you understand that? It's not by means of which that Old Testament sacrifice, the blood of bulls and goats, they could never take away man's sin. But this man, once for all, gave his life and shed his blood. And he is the reconciliation between God and man. It's powerful. It denotes not that we have received a ransom or an offering by which Reconciliation might be affected. 
but that in fact we have become reconciled already through him. I don't know if I'm getting that across to you. Do you know what the word atonement means in English? It's an old English word. It means at one mint. At one mint. Peace. At one mint with God. Being at one or reconciled to God. What an amazing truth. It shows that reconciliation is a finished work that we receive, not because of what we've done, but because of a gift of God. It's an objective, accomplished fact because of the cross. And because of that, there is no wrath that abides on me. Amen? It shows that all of God's blessings to us come through Jesus Christ. Paul states it as a given, as a fact, that those who've received this reconciliation, now they exalt and they glory and they joy in God because of what He's done. So now I'll close with this. Let me ask the question. If Paul states it as a given, they glory in God, do you? Have you spent any time this past week exalting in God because of all that He's freely given to you through Jesus Christ? I was just reading something from my cousin this last week, and it made me ponder, it made me think. I was just reading something that she talked about, she posted, and she described this setting, how she had a really tough week ahead of her, some real challenges to have to deal with. And to start off the week, she went outside and she sat on the dock by the lake in the early morning with a cup of coffee and peace and quiet. And she said she just sat there thinking about the blessings of God in her life. And she started to name them off. And how it caused her to start to change her outlook on how this week was going to go. Because she started with being overwhelmed and a hard week and trouble. But as she sat there thinking about the blessing of God and in her life, she started to change her thoughts, and now it became thankfulness to the Lord. Now it became, the Lord is my helper. Now it became, you know what? All things are possible with God. And her whole outlook began to change. Rather than being overwhelmed with all that there was, she started to be thankful. And I thought about that because I kind of needed that, actually, for myself. And I would encourage you to take some time 
and think and to meditate and to pray and to thank the Lord for His blessings. And maybe, Lord, show me today some of those unfathomable riches of Christ that you have given to me. Help me to glory in you. Thank you, Lord, that I've been justified by Christ's blood. Thank you, Lord, that the wrath of God does not abide on me anymore. Thank you, Lord, that while I was your enemy, deserving of wrath, you reconciled me to yourself through the death of your Son. And I'm simply saying that because that perspective might cause us to experience less moodiness, less being down, less complaining about things in life. I'm simply telling you I needed that. I needed that reminder this last week for myself. And it does change your perspective. The fact that you're saved for eternity, justified by Christ's blood, saved from God's wrath, reconciled to God when you were once His enemy. Man, that ought to cause our heart to rejoice in God, no matter what's coming. Amen? Take some time to do that. Thank the Lord. Bless Him, for He's good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You, Lord, for our salvation in Christ. Thank You for what that means. Saved from wrath through Him. No longer at war with God, an enemy of God, but a son of God at peace. Thank you for the amazing gift of salvation that we do not deserve. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who is our reconciliation. He is the propitiation the appeasement of God's wrath. He's all things. And Lord, I pray that you'd remind us of what we have in Christ and Lord, get our eyes off of the problems and off of the difficulties and have a better perspective. But no matter what, we can still joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning for the one who's never been saved. We started by asking the question, if you died today, where would you go? And my prayer is that through that entire message, that question has been haunting somebody who's never been saved. Lord, would you draw them today to your Son, who is the reconciliation of God. May they see themselves as enemies, as under the condemnation and the wrath of God. May they understand that the love of God is a wonderful thing, but there's coming a day when that long-suffering is going to be over and the wrath of God is going to be poured out. The only thing that will save them is Jesus Christ. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all